I feel like you can't call it an NRL magic round without magicians. How would that translate in the hard-hitting world of rugby league? I think they'd be good with the sleight of hand, the yep. deft passes. Maybe um, the dummy? Yep, but when it comes to putting their body on the line, I think they'd probably get really seriously injured. We need to do something about the amount of time it takes a Sinbin player to exit the field. What about any player getting Sinbin for the Titans? We say, if you get off in the next 10 seconds... We'll sign you up to another team. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast to be elected the most popular on the back of a backroom Clive Palmer preference deal. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show, the big names keep rolling in as we back up our chat with Mark Geyer last week with a catch-up with former rugby league enforcer David Shillington. But first, some housekeeping. Our best efforts to track down Chip Jones have failed this week. The podcast has a team of investigators actively searching every brothel, meth lab and time zone game arcade in Australia for our great mate Chippy. But alas, all we've turned up so far is a used condom riddled with STDs. We're close and we won't give up. But before we get stuck into the show, we need to go to this quick commercial break. Churchill. Langlands. Fulton. Lewis. Johns. To become a rugby league immortal, you need to be better than good. You better shit on Sublime. Because you need to be the best in your fucking generation. At least that's how we used to operate. Uh, but now we just let in a squad of 25 players every four years. It's about as tough as making the Greek Olympic pole vault team. So now that we've completely dropped the standards, the NRL Immortals Tribunal is inviting listeners of the Voluntary Tackle to vote now for who they think should be the next 16 Immortals to be led in by the end of the year. All you need to do is grab the latest copy of TV Week and place your votes. Now, of course, this will be in addition to any of the players that's not completely shithouse and retires before the end of the year. Because as any commentator will tell you, uh, they're already future immortals. So vote now to win tickets to our next Immortal Awards ceremony, where you will get to see the likes of Michael Korkidis, Ben Custo and Paul Lynham become immortals. See you there. Well, the great Cooper Cronk has announced his retirement at the end of the year, and the player who commentators refer to as godlike has finally hung up his boots. Now, they don't actually call him that for his natural ability, obviously. Uh, that would be ridiculous. Uh, it's more because he has the body of a librarian and the head of the Hitler Youth. A real modern-day sphinx. So the question is, how do you thank a man who has given so much to the game and yet has perspired so little? Well, for the Melbourne Storm, it was this tweet. I'll just read it out for you now. Congratulations, Cooper Cronk, on an outstanding career. Getting very personal there, you can tell. He didn't refer to him by any of his nicknames or anything, just Cooper Cronk. Well, they're certainly nice words, Melbourne Storm, but it doesn't mean too much when you've already declared you'll never build a Cooper Cronk statue in Melbourne. All you've effectively done with this tweet is come across with the same level of sincerity as Martin Bryant did that time he told the barista at the Broad Arrow Cafe that he only comes in for the skinny mochaccinos. Or to put it another way, it's like being the kid on Mother's Day who buys his mum some flowers, says, here you go mum, have some chocolates, gives her a big hug, 
Uh, thanks again for nurturing me from a baby into a man. Uh, now fuck off into a home. And not even one of those good ones, Mum. One of those booper ones where the staff poisoned the milk. The fact is, if Cooper Cronk was playing for a club like the West's Tigers, he'd already have a statue erected outside Leichhardt after only eight matches. It would stand triumphantly alongside that new Robbie Farrow one. You know the one I'm talking about, the Robbie Farrow one where he's immortalised putting Jason Taylor in an aggressive headlock. I'm sure everyone's seen it. It's, um, it's right next door to the other statue of Robbie Farrow putting Mick Potter in a really violent headlock. Anyway, that's just the Tigers. But if Cronk played for a team like, I don't know, the Titans, uh, well, actually, nothing would happen because um, nobody would turn up and see him play. It's a bit like that old proverb. Uh, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it make any sound? Uh, for the record, George Berkeley, yes it would, you narcissistic dickhead, but I digress. How do you honour a man who has won so many premierships, state of origins, internationals, and the chastity of so many hot Sydney journalists? Well, the answer is, you can't. But the next best thing to do is start a religion. So in response, the voluntary tackle has set up the Church of Latter-day Cronks. Take a listen to its first recruitment ad. And I love all people, rich or poor, but... In those particular positions, I just don't want a poor person. Does that make sense? As I said, my wealth's $4,000 million. Do you think I give a stuff about what you personally think? And therefore, the winner of the 2006 Dalian medal is Cameron Smith against the Seagulls. Three votes. We understand that sometimes it seems like the world is turning to complete shit. People would rather have sex with an iPhone than give to a charity. And guess what? It's not all Cameron Smith's fault. Most of it is, but, but not all of it. That's why we've created a new refuge for people to hide away and escape society's ills. It's a place where you get looked after with meticulous attention to statistical detail. At the Church of Latter-day Cronks, we'll pluck you from the cesspit of everyday life to be mentored by the most professional rugby league player the NRL has ever seen. Do you have relationship troubles? No worries. Cooper Cronk will happily mediate the conflict for you both and find the most appropriate emotional outcomes based on a combination of Venn diagrams and pie charts. Troubled sex life? Coops has you covered there too. He will personally review hours of footage of your lovemaking and he won't rest until both partners are able to achieve maximum orgasm potential to a factor of 95% or higher. So join the Church of Latter-day Cronks today for the highest statistical chance of your eternal salvation. And remember, Cooper Cronk loves you. But not in a pedo way. He's not an ordained priest or anything. Now, Blake Ferguson's long run of hot form sadly came to an end for Parramatta fans early in their round two match against the Bulldogs. But this hasn't stopped Fergo from flipping out over his chances of making the New South Wales state of origin team. It's for this reason that Blake has reached out to New South Wales origin coach Brad Fittler, with an ironclad pledge of state solidarity. Ferguson has promised Freddie that if he keeps the faith and selects him for game one against Queensland, he will stay off the booze. Now, we're not sure if Freddie will be won over by this lowball offer or not, but on the show today, we would like to dissect the merits of the pledge all the same. So to summarise, Blake has told the coach, pick me and I promise you, I won't get shit-faced in camp. One sort of gets the sense that Blake might need to aim a little higher here. It's a bit like saying... Please, pick me, coach. If you do, I promise I won't jab a stick of heroin into my eyeball like last time. We wonder if it ever occurred to Ferguson to say something like, Pick me, coach. 
because I'm proud to be a New South Welshman and I want to kill Queensland. Now, it must be said as well that Fergo only implied that he would not get drunk like last time. So it does beg the question, is Fergo willing to walk around camp with a mid-range blood alcohol reading? I don't think Brad Fittler will be impressed by this, but to explain the issue in more detail, uh, we thought we'd interview Blake Ferguson's manager, Mustafa Ashawati. Thanks for joining me, Mustafa. Uh, First question, why is Blake setting the bar so low here? This is all about the bargaining process. You don't go with your best offer first. You start low and then slowly move up from there. Right, so so what's slightly higher up from I won't get shit-faced? Look, there's a very clear sliding scale, right? You've got uh, the next level up is uh, no glassings, right? And then if Freddie still isn't budging, uh, we're willing to go even higher and pledge Fergo will put in 10 times more effort than a regular club match. Right, so how much effort would that be? According to my calculations, uh, about 35 minutes. Yeah, but Mustafa, Freddie has already said that he wants players that bleed sky blue guys that really commit to the jersey and actually want to be there. Well, Eamon Blake is ready to do all of those things. He's very committed to the Blues. Yeah, maybe the Blues. Or even Queensland. It depends how much the offer is. Yes, but Mustafa, Fergo's been here a few times already. Hasn't he already burned most of his bridges? No, Fergo has not burned any bridges. Or even buildings, national parks. He hasn't done any of that for a long, long time. He's a very changed man. Right. Uh, what's changed him? Well, for one, he's been banned from using matches and lighters. I mean, in a, in a football sense, Mustafa. What's, what's changed him? Well, uh, you know, playing for the Blues again would change him. How so? Well, he'd be fucking richer. It's 50k a match. Welcome back to the show. Now, it's time to hear less from me and more from you in a new segment we call the Voluntary Tackle Q&A. Now, this will basically be a quick forum for our loyal listeners to ask us the most burning, vexing questions possible. And our first inquiry comes from Twitter user James Smith, and he asks, Hi guys, long-time listener, first-time tweeter. I'm a Penrith supporter. What should I do? Look, thanks for writing in, James. Uh, look, mate, I'd normally deliver some kind of platitude for you in this situation. Typically, I'd suggest the whole team just try to keep their chins up. But I'd fear the Cleary twins would have somebody's eye out if they did that. So that's not the advice that I'm going to give right now. Instead, James, my advice to you is simply never watch an Ivan Cleary press conference. It's soul-destroying. That is one beaten man sitting there. He looks more glum than Jamal Khashoggi in the final stages of completing some Saudi Arabian admin. And I mean I mean this truly, that the presses are excruciating to watch. And when Ivan repeatedly answers, I don't know to really pivotal questions like, why is the team performing so badly? It does make you wonder when the axe will fall. Now, the next question is from Sandy Hunter, who asks, Still intrigues me how some of these professional footballers can't pass a ball left to right. Why? I always thought it was just a given. Seen some shocking attempts lately. Thanks for touching base, Sandy. Look, I've recently unlocked some pretty hard data on this point, because I agree with you. There are many players in the NRL who can't pass left to right. Uh, But the reason for this isn't actually a lack of skill. It's because it hurts their right pectoral muscle too much. Because as most NRL players will tell you, that's where the peptides go in. So alas, Sandy, until the poor blokes can find a way to absorb the powerful properties of human growth hormone and gorilla semen orally, we're going to see the byproduct of poor left to right passing in first grade for years to come. Now the question on Twitter comes from Turtle Wilson who asks... 
Where have all the goal-kicking back rowers gone? Where are today's Wayne Bartrams, Craig Fix-Gibbons, David Furners, Craig Salvatore's, Terry Madison's, etc.? Now, that is a great question, Turtle. And look, I have to admit uh, to not giving this too much thought, but upon looking at the names you've listed there, my guess is that they've all gone to Centrelink. Just can't imagine life after footy was very kind to Wayne Bartram, for example. Thanks for writing in, Turtle. Uh, The next question comes from Big T, who gets deep and whimsical by asking, does Brooks to Canberra make more sense than chilli-flavoured potato chips? Well, having listened to many Luke Brooks interviews over the years, Big T, I can safely tell you uh, that I'd get a fair bit more insight from interviewing a packet of chilli-flavoured potato chips than poor old Brooksy. Unfortunately, when he speaks, it's just a collection of vowel sounds mashed together, and it sounds a bit like a walrus masturbating. Now, whether his speech will become clearer in our nation's capital remains to be seen, but it certainly could be worth an experiment, because how do we really know what Luke Brooks wants if we can't understand him? He might not even want to play footy. Nobody would know. Now, the next inquiry is from a Mofo Storm fan who asks, which team of invalids will win Origin this year? Well, that is an excellent point, motherfucking Storm fan. And with a growing injury list of both sides longer than an Auschwitz national bull riding team circa 1941, both states are going to find it tough to field 34 players not afflicted by serious injury. That's why I'm proposing to allow a special one-off Paralympic-style State of Origin series. Now, just hear me out on this. It will see players permitted to bring on whatever aid they need to get the job done. Uh, Bring Inglis back, for example, and he can wear a pair of Oscar Pistorius' metal leaks, hopefully without all the stabbing. Uh, And also, you know, Tyson Frizzell. He could co-opt the ball sack of a Canadian brown bear to protect his one remaining testicle. Um, There's so many prospects uh, when it comes to this idea. Um, I don't know, Cameron Munster. He could bring on a Melburnian with an excellent bedside manner just to offset his acute cuntishness. So you know where I'm going here, and I certainly hope that answers your question, mofo. Now, our last question comes from the incomparable Media Watch Mario, who asks, which of these films is the best metaphor for rugby league and why? The Green Mile, Mary Poppins, The Princess Bride, The Blues Brothers. Mm, Well, Mario, this is a tough one, um, but I'll give it a crack. Which should we choose first? Mitchell Pierce probably jumps out at me, Mario. Um, he certainly seems like a bit of a princess bride. Um, a princess in the way he plays, uh, and a bride because he always gets fucked on game day. Oh, yeah. Well, folks, the run of success at the voluntary tackle landing the signature of ex-NRL legends continues because we recently sat down and had a chat with perhaps the most articulate prop forward the game has ever seen. That man, of course, is Mr. David Shillington. Enjoy. A very punctual man. Mate, and I do try to be punctual. Um, the only event I've ever turned up late to was my own wedding, but uh, my wife forgave me for that. <laughs> I guess I wanted to start with a bit of a, just a general question, Dave. Um, how have you found the footy this year? I've been really enjoying it, actually. It's, uh, I always thought if you could pick a perfect round, um, you're fluking it. Yeah. Uh, I did pick a perfect round uh, last week and I maintain it was a fluke, but uh, the, the excitement of the NRL is, is all about you just don't know who's going to win. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think the Broncos would win, and uh, but they did, and um, they, the Roosters look like they're going to smash everyone, but then they lost, and it's just, um, yeah, it's not, it's never boring. It's, it's good stuff, and there's, there's lots of new talent coming through. Um, 
few old heads still running around playing some great footy. So, yeah, I'm loving it. And i got to say, just pick a perfect round. That's almost unheard of, especially in the last couple of years. What made you think the Broncos would get up? I just actually pick on the colours of the team. I like the colours more than anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, I think they needed a bit of confidence and they had a good win the week before against a, you know, a fairly weak team in Manly, I think it was. But, uh, um, yeah, they needed a bit of confidence. When, when you're losing like that all the time and, and, and you do have a win, it just it, there's a whole buzz around the camp that week and the, the um, pressure valve gets released and, and sometimes you're get to play your best footy moving forward. I don't, I don't know if they've got the squad to maintain the wins and uh, the consistency, but um, who knows, uh, two wins in a row now and they could be on the way back up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, it uh, just brings me to another question. Obviously, Dave, I know you've played for a few clubs. Um, I know you, and you're also a Queenslander. Do, do you have an allegiance now to a particular club? I'm, I'm getting the, the tropes that maybe you're a bit of a Broncos fan now. Uh, when I moved to Brisbane, uh, all my mates, just one-eyed Broncos fans. It's, it's hard to cop, and I feel like if I can't beat them, I have to join them. Uh, but, uh, I, I grew up in Brisbane, so I've probably got a, a fair reason to support them. Uh, and it's hard to split who uh, I really support or where I have the best memories, because moving down to Sydney, playing for the Roosters, you know, I, I worked my way up through the grades and had my first grade debut, and uh, we had a pretty good season there in 08 under Freddie Fittler. Uh, so there's always lots of special memories there, but, but then I really... I guess had all my own personal success at uh, the Raiders, getting to play rep footy there and yep. captaining the club and that sort of stuff. Uh, it's hard to hold the Titans um, too close to my heart because I was a bit of a bum there, to be honest. I think most Titans fans <laughs> wouldn't think of me very highly. I signed for three seasons and played about 10 games. So, um, unfortunately, it got too old and, and injured, which which happens. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so, what you're saying, Dave, is... They may not have a statue outside of Verbena anytime soon of Dave, Shilling, Shilling, Dave Shillington. Oh, I, I don't think so because they don't hold me that high regard and, and they're struggling financially so they couldn't afford all the bronze and things and some of the my dimensions. So. Yeah, might be made up with paddle pop sticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll always be thankful that the Titans uh, gave me the opportunity to come back, come, come back home to Brisbane and uh, I wish I could have played better footy for them. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be. Mate, just on your career, I mean, when you look, obviously you're retired now, when you look at guys like Jason Taumalolo, you know, running into guys like Tiki Aho for the Roosters and just seeing these collisions, is there any of that you miss? Because I think you'd almost have to be suicidal to do it. Yeah, you do look back on it and think, how was I possibly at that standard of football that matches with these guys? Because uh, they're just incredible and every year getting... Uh, just big guys becoming more athletic. Where, you know, big guys used to be a bit, you know, slow and cumbersome and or immobile, but now they've got footwork and offloads and preload passes. And um, I, I get asked all the time if I play some legends games uh, for all the retired players, and and I always say, oh yeah, no, no, I think so because I love the idea of it, but then reality kicks in, and I think about all the injuries I had and yep. how I love playing with being injury-free now and playing with my toddlers, then yep. I don't want to go back there. How is the body holding up, Dave? How is it these days? It's good for now. It's good for now. But uh, when I played, I had 10 rounds of surgery, um, unfortunately. And uh, I think, you know, maybe another 20 years' time, as I age a bit more, uh, I'll probably feel a bit worse. But, yeah, two years into in retirement now, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Mate, it's okay. By then, there'll be stem cell research going on. They'll be able to just grow you a new leg or a new hip, whatever you need. So I wouldn't feel too downright about it. 
hope so. And my brother, Mark, he's actually an orthopedic surgeon, so hopefully he'll give me uh, mate's rates on all my knee replacements <laughs> I'll, I'll need. Keep it all in the family. When yeah. you were playing, Dave, who, would, who do you think was the toughest forward you ever faced off against? Oh, there's so many good ones. Um, someone like Ben Martellino, uh, he was at the Warriors and then the Tigers in the end, but he was, he was a tough man. Mm. Uh, he didn't put much effort into his tackling. It didn't look like it, but, geez, you felt it. Yeah. Uh, in, in my early days, I got to play uh, against Tony Carroll, actually. Oh, back wow. End my, back into his career and the start of mine, and he was obviously well-known for being Darren Lockyer's um, protector, I guess, effectively. Yep. And I, I remember at the Sydney Football Stadium, we were playing the Roosters, a good Friday game, and I got, I got a tap. I'm kicking kick the touch, and uh, I was taking a tap for about 30, 40 out from the try line, attacking, and I uh, saw Lockie in front of me. I thought, he is a fantastic attacker, great with the ball, but not the best defender. I reckon I got a good chance if I just beeline for him, I should be able to get over him and make a break. Who knows? Score a try. You know, I got to be carried away with myself, I think. And, and then um, as I got a bit closer to him, Tony Carroll just stepped out of nowhere and folded me in half. <laughs> and uh, so... I had to come off and everything. So I went from envisaging scoring a try, steamrolling the great Darren Lockyer, and, I, yeah. and by the time reality kicked in, I was in the medical room getting a needle in my hip so I could go back out and play. The last thing you remember was running under the sticks, and it never happened. Yeah, um, yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah I'll tell you what, Tony Carroll, Dave, he was so tough, he'd even knock out the old ref every now and again. Remember when he accidentally <laughs> knocked out? I forget who it was. But flush to um, the knee. Um, mate, how's the game changed, I guess, since you've start, stopped playing? I know it hasn't been that long. We're not looking through the sepia sunglasses of 30 years ago or anything, but even, I guess, from the time you debuted to the current season, do you see any sort of changes in the game that um, that you've observed? Oh, just, I think, how tight it's become. Uh, when, when I probably, I debuted in first grade in, in 05, and there's a lot more one-out uh, running and um, leg tackling and offloads and uh, things like that. Yep. A lot, probably a lot more individual plays, I guess. And it was going to be, it was, it was up to you to break the line and break that first defender. Uh, but, but now it's just, it's shortened up a whole lot. Uh, people don't get to run that far with the ball. Defensive lines move up quicker. Mm. And you're getting hit by two or three players at once. Maybe even a fourth will come in and, uh, and just, just tie you up, tangle you up and, slowly lower you down and peel off so the rucks just become important to wrestle you ranch right up uh, so I think I think that's probably one of the biggest differences and, sure. and there's a flow on, flow on effect with that with the back lines you know they've, they've become really structured because uh, the defensive line is so structured and, and, and so good yeah. um, so it's great when you see the individuals like the Latrell Mitchell these days just carve up with the sheer natural ability so mm. um but yeah, that's probably the biggest difference, I think, just that, that wrestle and, and the structure of the game. Do you think it's, um, I guess, the game's become safer? Obviously, they're trying to put more of an emphasis now on player welfare. Um, that's even probably been since you've retired, Dave, even since, you know, there's a, the HIA yeah. and um, a lot more different types of ca- uh, tackles that they're sort of coming down on, like the Crusher, for example. Do you think it's getting yeah. safer or is that more of an optics thing, a bit of an illusion? I think it's definitely getting safer. I think... Um, there's more there's bigger collisions in the game because all the players are massive. They're stronger. They're faster. Uh, so I think there's generally more collisions, but the collisions are a lot safer. Yeah, which is a great thing. You know, 
what, what changed for me during my career, and uh, I used to sort of pride myself on doing a couple of big cho- shoulder charges every couple of weeks, you know, yeah. and, and pu- pumping up my teammates and you know, showing my dominance, I guess, like that. And then all of a sudden, uh, they banned the shoulder charge, and I had to sort of learn how to tackle again and get <laughs> shoulder probably. Uh, I didn't know how to sort of assert my dominance. Because, no, they put uh, a hole in your that, strategy. Yeah, I used to love flying out of line and try to take somebody out. And, uh, but, uh, but I think it's a great thing because back then, you, know, you, you wore a, a knockout um, as a badge of honour or a concussion as a badge of honour. You'd get up and soldier on and everyone thought you were tough. But, uh, you know, with new research around um, repeated head knocks and all that, it, it's a great thing that they're taking care of the players more now because I, I, I certainly know that you, know, you worry about how that's going to affect you later in life, all that stuff. Yeah. So it, it's a good thing that it's safer. Absolutely, mate. I totally agree with you. And I, I guess rugby league was a game invented at a time where uh, people as big as yourself, Dave, weren't around. Um, you know, it was sort of people, if you were a prop forward and you were about 75 kilos, you were considered big, I think, back in the day. So the, the sheer physics of these giant guys colliding, um, I just yeah. don't think the head is quite caught up with that. So um, it's a, definitely it's a good thing. I, I, just to touch on, a, a, I guess, a very current story, Dave, um, Cooper Cronk. The retirement announcement. Um, just wanted to get your take. What do you think of Cooper's legacy? What do you think that'll be in the game? Do you think he'll be considered on the same footing as other Queensland greats like Cameron Smith and Billy Slater? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to compare them. Compare them all. A lot of people ask me that because I, I was lucky enough to play with them all. You know, how, how do they rate and uh, how do they compare? And um, you know, I, I think Cooper is is the best example I've ever seen of if you want it. And you're willing to work hard enough, you can get it. Yeah. Uh, because you know, Cooper and I go way back to playing Queensland Rugby Union together in grade 12, and and he was a bit of a utility and got shifted around everywhere when he went to the Storm, and then decided to own that halfback position and just worked his ass off until he got there. Mm. Uh, so besides all the other numbers, you know, the 300, um, how many games he's played. It's just that he wasn't a natural halfback that fascinates me so much. It's just he had to work for everything he got. So there's other guys like JT and um, GI and those sort of guys that were just absolute natural talent, athletically gifted, just oozed football in their positions through and through. But uh, but Cooper, he, he just he was all hard work. So um, it's one of those people that you say he he deserves everything he's got. I always <laughs> remember in uh, in Origin camp. Uh, I think it was 2012, and uh, on the Monday before the Wednesday game, it's traditionally a day off, and myself and Maddie Scott and uh, a couple of front rollers, we went and went and saw a movie and had some popcorn and coke and relax. Uh, when we left the camp, Sanctuary Cove, Clive Palmer's old joint, uh, he, Cooper was out in the field by himself, um, having shot the goal, drop kicks and everything like that, field goal attempts. When we got back, he was still out there. So a couple of hours had passed, and it wow. just, just wrapped it up when we got back. Uh, and it was that game on the Wednesday night at Suncorp that he kicked the winning field goal in the dying minutes. Oh, I remember game. it, Dave. It still uh, hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so it's just, when you see that, it just it just shows, like, it's just a great example of how hard work pays off. It wasn't an accident or a fluke that he got that field goal. It was through hard work and repetition. So, how, yeah. long, how long do you reckon he was out there snapping field goals for? Oh, he had to be out there for a couple of hours. I don't know if he was doing it the whole time, but that's just what it looked like to us. Yeah. Uh, but do you think Coops? Do you think Coops actually yeah. goes through and does it in the dark as well, just to test himself in the blind condition? <laughs> I, I would say he does a lot of things he might not tell us about. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> 
good on him. And I, yeah. I remember Craig, Craig Fitzgibbon, he was a good influence on me at the Roosters, and he used to say, uh, yeah, great, the great athletes or whatever, uh, sports people are, uh, are made from the work they do away from training, how they take care of themselves, little extras, little preparations they do, uh, and that's how they get the edge on other people. And I think uh, Cooper was Cooper was like that. There was a lot going on behind the scenes that we didn't see. Um, yeah. But there's also a hell of a lot we could see too. So, yeah, phenomenal person. Um, mate, just on the comp at the moment as well, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on who you think a, the team to beat this year is going to be, and B, who do you think the dark horse is? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say. I think um, by the time Origin is over, that's when you get a bit of a better idea. But uh, some, some of the top teams at the moment, like the, the Storm, um, the Rabbitohs, uh, I, think, I think they're hard to go past with, with the Roosters, I guess, thrown there too. Um, now, obviously... Teams never go back to back these days, so it's easy to write off the rooster just because there must be a reason behind that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I don't understand why they can't go back to back, but uh, yeah, what, one of those three has to, has, to, has to go. It's a bit boring when you say, "Oh, Melbourne going to win the comp." <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. But, but I think given the amount of players they've lost over the years, since you used to always say that, yeah, they always had the big three, four, five, six. How many big players they had? Uh, and now it's just down to Sydney, for example. Uh, so to say Melbourne going to win the comp, it's not as boring anymore because if they do the win, win the comp, that's remarkable considering all the talent they've lost over the years. A hundred percent. Their ability to just continually reinvent themselves is why the Melbourne Storm have been so successful. What about your old Canberra Raiders, uh, David? They've certainly performed really well this year. A lot of um, yeah. basically half of the English national team in their front row, um, <laughs> sort of sneaking under the under the radar, but... Um, you know, they're in that top four and they're lurking. Yeah, so what a bloody genius move from Ricky Stewart and, and the crew there to get these these pommies over, the English English forwards, and uh, they've just been they've been fantastic and they're not going to be missing from the squad during origin period, so um, Canberra could pick up a couple of handy uh, wins through this period coming up. Uh, but oh, I, I would love for them to win. I think, getting back to that question about who I support, if I had to choose a team, I'd, I'd probably choose the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, I got to play about 130 odd games for them, and uh, and I think uh, I was a Raiders fan growing up, uh, and I think a lot of people, especially up here in Queensland, have the Raiders as their second favourite team because of all that success they had back in the 80s and 90s, and all the great Queenslanders played down there back then. Yep. So um, oh, I would love it. I think it'd be great for the game. You know, people say that I think it'd be great for the game with the Raiders got through to the final and even won it. And they have been playing really well, although when they've come up against some of these um, these other strong teams, obviously they haven't got up yet. So you don't know how that's going to change later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, Dave, I was actually going to touch on as well what you're doing away from the from the field. I understand you're um, pretty heavily in, involved in mental health awareness as well. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I really... When, when I retired... I, I've sort of I've tried a few different things, and that's pretty common when players retire after so many years in the game. And, um, and one of the things I've stuck with though is I'm working for the NRL uh, on their on two programs, two community programs they they roll out. Uh, one's called the State of Mind program, and and that is all around mental health, as you said. Yep. Uh, we we get out to the junior rugby league clubs. Uh, I, I predominantly work in Queensland and Northern Territory, and so thanks to the the state government um, in, in both areas. Uh, they've, they've funded the program, and we can go to junior rugby league clubs and 
we do a bit of a presentation on on all things mental health. Yeah, uh, and it's just to equip the, all the junior rugby league coaches and managers uh, with, with just a bit more more knowledge uh, about it. So sometimes when you don't understand things, it's pretty scary and off-putting. Uh, and, and part of that presentation is we use videos from from the current current players who have gone through something themselves, like a, like a Darius Boyd, uh, Joel Thompson, Michael Morgan, uh, and that's just because you know they're our superstars of the game. Um, they've suffered from mental health difficulties. And by them talking about it, really helps reduce the stigma involved with mental health. So uh, it's a good program. Some people are standoffish to come along sometimes because they go, oh, no, it's mental health. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. But it's a really fun, practical, uh, rugby league relevant presentation. So uh, something I really enjoy. Mate, it sounds, um, it sounds really productive. Is it, I guess, a case of you know rugby league being a, a real blokey bloke sport, at least historically, that you know it's harder to talk about? mental health issues in the game? Yeah, well, one of the big reasons um, and mental health, mental poor, poor mental health is an issue in society uh, is that people don't talk about it. And through rugby league, we're starting that conversation and we're better educating people. And so, uh, you know, if, uh, if someone who... Uh, the fact that we've got a rugby league profile, people like myself who deliver the program, I uh, think it's a little bit easier yeah. uh, to attract the audience because it's a regular league audience. So we get them in there and, uh, and then we talk about it and we use the current players uh, talking about their um, struggles they've had uh, to really keep people engaged and spread the word, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think, think that familiar regular league voice helps start the conversation and, um, and breaks down some of those barriers. Yeah, mate. Well, you're doing a great job, so well done on that. Uh, look, uh, <clears throat> we're coming to the end, mate, but I thought I'd, I couldn't leave the conversation without canvassing your thoughts, uh, being a Queenslander, on the upcoming State of Origin series. And there's one burning question uh, that a lot of people have at the moment, and it's whether or not the great Cameron Smith will be making a comeback. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is paper talk, or do you think there's genuinely a chance that Cameron Smith might come back for the Maroons? Oh, I think it's a slim chance. I wouldn't be surprised if, if there was a surprise and he did come back. Yep. But um, oh, I would love him to come back. And I've heard somebody say once in the papers that he'd be uh, risking his whole legacy, but I don't, I don't agree with that. I think he's been one of the greatest, if not the greatest ever. And if he comes back and doesn't play well uh, or the team loses, people would go, well, he had such a fantastic run. You can't expect to do everything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Sorry, you go, Dave. Yeah, so I was going to say, and, and good on him for coming back and trying. Like, I think it, it would be admirable. Uh, but on the same page, he's playing some great footy for the Storm and, and the rest he had last year and this year showed um, and his, his energy he had with the Storm. So maybe he wants to um, you know, give back to the Storm more than he already has and, and, and you know, keep Origin... Uh, in, in retirement, so uh, I'd love him to come back. I, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't, but hey, fingers crossed. As a proud Queenslander, we, we need him out there. So let's let's get him back. <laughs> How good would the theatre of it be if he uh, oh, was like good. a drawn series and he comes in for game three? Um, yeah, just just it's a it's a rugby league wet dream. Then <laughs> Paul Gallen comes out of retirement. And, uh, <laughs> all the great. Uh, players for their state are back. Yeah, Wally Lewis is at lock. Yep. If, uh, <laughs> 22 other front rollers get injured before me, I'll come out of the <laughs> so, Mate, that'll, uh, be, uh, that'll be amazing. I'd love to see it. Um, even as a proud New South Welshman, 
just the pure theatre of Cameron Smith coming back. Um, I'd I'd love to see it. Um, uh, just to wrap up the interview, Dave, the voluntary tackle. We do a fast three set of questions at the end of the interview. Uh, just to be warned, they're not entirely uh, particularly serious, um, so just prepare yourself. Um, so the first question is: If you could be any character in the TV series of Smurfs, who would you be? I had no idea who the characters are. I remember there was a Papa Smurf. I think. Yeah, there was so, a Papa Smurf. I have to go with the Papa Smurf. There you go. Why not? Beaver leader. Um, I personally, I'd be Handy Smurf because then I just build my own house, um, just away from the community and just be rich. But that's just my own take on it. Um, if you were playing, uh, would you have played better with no hands or no feet? Uh, probably no hands. Okay. Um, just catch the ball with your mouth. They might agree with it. And the last one, Dave, who would play Brad Fittler the best in a biopic of his life? Paul Giamatti or Danny DeVito? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Try to visualise each actor, sort of uh, maybe the 2004 State of Origin comeback game where they've just done a charge down. Would Danny DeVito look better or Paul Giamatti? It's, It's a tough one. Yeah, I reckon you'd have to be method. Mate, uh, thank you so much again, mate, for joining us on the on the potty today and supporting the show. Um, it's been a pleasure, mate, and it's been really enlightening and hopefully down the track we can have you on again. All right, no worries. Great chat there with Shillow, and uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Dave. Um, now, look, just because Chip Jones is off gallivanting around Australia's red centre and having unprotected sex with dingoes and most likely one of Lindy Chamberlain's deceased kids... That doesn't mean he has zero contact with the show. As it turns out, the voluntary tackle has been able to uh, contact Chip uh, via a coded app, a bit like WhatsApp, but not hackable by Huawei. And uh, he sent me his origin predictions. Okay, so I have the list in front of me. Now, Chip Jones predicts that the New South Wales State of Origin team will be Tedesco at fullback, Addo Carr and Kotrick on the wings, Mitchell and Blake Ferguson in the centres, his halves are Luke Keary and Adam Reynolds. Um, his props are Clemmer and Lodge. Wow, there's some brutality and criminality in that front row. Uh, he's got Damien Cook in hooker, uh, Tyson Frizzell, Murray, Trebojevic and Cordner uh, making up the back row. Now, that's a pretty solid team there, Chippy, um, if not a little bit high on the criminal index. Um, but interestingly, you, you haven't sent me in a bench, mate. So unless your tactic is to sort of go into the game with just 13 men, um, I think you've severely handicapped Freddie's men. Uh, but I appreciate you sending it into the show as well, mate. Um, so to retort, here's Eamon Brown's origin team. Now, clearly I've got James Tedesco at the back. Uh, that much writes itself. He's probably the form player of the competition. Now, I've also got Josh Adokar on the wing. I think he deserves to be there. Um, now, this is a pretty bold call on my behalf uh, after all the stick I've given him, but... 
I am going to give Blake Ferguson a run on the other wing, um, provided he doesn't do any uh, stupid Fergo flips and he keeps his brain snaps under 10. Uh, although I don't want him um, socialising with any of the players in the squad. I want him isolated, and ideally I want him in one of those sort of Hannibal Lecter suits uh, where he cannot have any contact with the outside world until game day. Uh, so, Blake, you've made it there under very tenuous circumstances. Um, my centres, now Latrell Mitchell I've got to put in there, even though he only has half a groin at the moment. So the number four position was a tough one to pick. Now, there's a few candidates. But in the end, I've gone with Josh Morris, just because I know he's done the job before. He's a classy player who I know is going to get the job done. Um, and I guess the reason he hasn't been in there in the last couple of years has been a combination of injuries and the fact that there have been slightly more dynamic players available. So uh, I do think Josh Morris is a safer bet, but I'm, I'm going to lock him in the number four. Now, the, the really multi-million dollar question has been the halves. Now, for most of the year, I was backing in the Penrith halves, even when they're under pressure. And I don't think everything that's going on at the Panthers is the halves' fault. Now, for all the bad things that are said about James Maloney, he actually is a big game player. Um, and he performs pretty well on the big stage. There's only a couple of games that I could point to where he's not fared so well on the big stage. So for me, I really wanted to pick him. Um, but... Looking at that Penrith team, I don't think you can pick anyone from that Panthers team. It's just, it's toxic. Um, and no player has any confidence. In fact, seven or eight of the players aren't even trying. So sadly for me, I'm actually going to cut both of the Penrith halves in my state of origin team. And I've gone with Luke Keary in the number seven because he's proved that he can play that role in Cooper Cronk's absence and in fact seems to grow another leg. Uh, so I think he'll do a really good job in the seven. And you can't deny how well Cody Walker's playing at Souths. So for me, it's Luke Keary in the seven and Cody Walker in the six. Now, the other little thing about the New South Wales Blues, especially in the last five or six years, is the fact that we're a little bit thin on the ground when it comes to props. And we always have a million great second rowers. So it's a, it is a bit of a dilemma. Uh, so the prop forwards for me, um, I've actually gone with Paul Vaughan and Payne Haas. Uh, which, look, Huss is a he's young. It's it's a gamble. It's a risk. Um, but I just don't see another prop forward jumping out of the pack and demanding that role. So if you are going to blood a younger player, I, th I think this is going to be the series to do it. In the back row, you've probably got the best back row. It's probably the Australian back row to be honest. In Boyd Cordner, Tyson Frizzell, and Jake Jaboyevich. Um and of course Damien Cook is an absolute walk up for hooker. Now for my bench, it's probably subject to the most debate, um, especially when it comes to that utility 14 role. Um, for me, it might sound like bias, but I've gone with Victor Radley, uh, only because I know that he can play so many different positions on the field and he will definitely have an impact because I've seen him do that at many stages for the Roosters. So Victor Radley in the 14 for me. Number 15, I've got Joel Thompson. Number 16, Tariq Sims. And number 17, the workhorse. Dale Finucan, uh, I don't think has got a run in Origin as yet, um, but I think he will. he's an absolute tailor-made Origin player and he has to be there this year. So what we're going to do is we're going to put both teams out on Twitter so that our listeners can decide whose team is better, Chips or Amons. Um, is it Amons 17-man team versus Chips 13-man team? Just based on statistics, I think you know which option you need to choose. But now it's time for Multi-Madness. <laughs> Thank you. 
Again, uh, I've... Now, this is going to be another strange one because obviously Chip isn't here and we're competing and vying for dominance in the gambling stakes, which has been really uneventful uh, so far this year because neither of us have won anything. Now, again, I have managed to secure uh, Chip's bets. He's gone with... Uh, I'll tell you what, it's a very outlandish first leg here from Chip. He's gone with the Roosters and the Knights to go to extra time. That's paying 26 to 1. So he won't win this week. Um, he's also got the Raiders to beat the North Queensland Cowboys at $1.44. Souths to beat the Tigers by more than 8.5 points. That's $1.90 uh, for a potential win of $71.13, which would be very handy money for Chip, especially because he's on the run from the Northern Territory Police. Uh, turns out he knew Bradley John Murdoch a little bit more than he let on. So I certainly hope that he wins. As for my bets this week, I've also gone a three-legger, and uh, I've actually a bit of a role reversal because I've gone quite conservative. But for me, this actually, I, I should probably, shouldn't speak, it's one of these things you're going to definitely eat your words later on, but it actually looks like a round that looks achievable for a change. There are some games there where I feel there is a distinct winner. Um, so the three legs I've gone for is the Manly Seagulls to beat the Titans, uh, because at the moment, the Gold Coast Titans couldn't beat a firm breeze. So for me, that one's a lock. I've got the Roosters to beat the Knights at $1.40. Now that is actually going to be a good game, I think. Uh, the Knights obviously on a roll. Uh, Roosters starting to look a little flat with injuries, but I just think we have a very good record against the Knights, as do everyone. Uh, but I think we're going to get away with that one. And the third leg, I've gone for the Raiders to knock over the Cowboys, because again, the Cowboys are pretty shit. Uh, so I've gone with a multi with a total of $2.95. Um, it'll be nice to get on the board, and uh, sorry, Chippy, but you're going to lose this one. Well, that brings us to the end of the show, and uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed our insights and unnecessary jokes about Lindy Chamberlain. Please rate the show on iTunes if you get a chance, or even leave a comment. But these are the kind of things that will keep our satanic rugby league discourse alive and well. So until next time, just do what Matt Preston would do, and attempt to give a silky cravat oral sex. See you next time. <laughs>